Welcome, everybody, to The Madness Continues. Uh, this episode's going to be interesting. This just is a supplemental episode. I'm talking with William Petit, the co-author of The Power Bible, on sale on Amazon and uh, fine Amazon websites everywhere. Uh, the book is about how to win conversations that matter, and the part that is relevant to today's conversation is the fact that uh, right at publishing, this <laughs> the the foreword of the book was written by James Altucher, and James became uh, the center and creator of a national story that involved Jerry Seinfeld, who wrote an op-ed in the New York Times, basically attacking James for his uh, blog post that he wrote talking about New York being dead. Uh, he wrote it on LinkedIn. It got picked up by the New York Post, and. Then Jerry decided to write a response, and it's been weird because literally thousands of people have been, I mean, James himself said millions in the podcast I did with him the other day, although I'm, I'm sure millions of people have been mad at him, eight million, in fact, in the city of New York, but he's been attempting to retain frame, hold frame, hold back, respond, and, and Bill and I have been advising him in different capacities over the last week, and... We got James's permission to talk about this. Otherwise, I don't think we would have done it this way. But uh, we thought the best thing to do would just be record a conversation of what Bill and I think about the situation from a frame perspective and how James can regain, hold it, and respond. And I think he's done an effective job. And so we wanted to just give our discussion here, and hopefully that will be useful to you, the listener, should you deal with, I mean, everybody in their own life is going to deal with frames and fra- outframing, uh, attempting to be outframed. And should you be the subject of a national conversation involving millions of people, maybe this will help be a guide. So with no further ado, here is B- Bill Batit, William Batit III, and myself talking about that exact subject. But let's get started on this thing, man. I know you're busy. I got stuff to do today, too. Yeah. So, look, here's why I just thought, uh, you know, I mean, what what I think is most interesting about this is, like, I just want to, you know, chat about what... It's, this has just been such a bizarre fucking year, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> the... This is, like, insane to me because, like, if you had asked me what had, you know, what would be the craziest thing that happened in 2020, I mean, first of all, I wouldn't have seen any of this coming, but it definitely also wouldn't be, hey, uh, you, the king of comedy is going to attack the guy who wrote the forward for your book, you know, yeah. <laughs> in the New York Times. <laughs> yeah. So, like, uh, look, so this is crazy because it's, like, the bizarre situation is that, you know, for so for the listener, this this happened just as Bill and I published a book about winning conversations that matter, and James wrote the foreword, and then Jerry attacked James in the press literally like the same week that the book was released, and it's crazy to think about this because it just was, it just it just the timing was so bizarre, and so you know while this was all taking place. James was constructing his response to Jerry, and we were on kind of the inside of a lot of that conversation. And witnessing what happened, I think, from a frame perspective is fascinating, especially using some of the things we talk about in our book. And so I think the best way to get into this maybe is just kind of talk about James's article and 
what he why I'm curious, Bill, why do you think it captured so much national attention outside of Jerry responding to it? Why do you think his article touched a nerve so hard? Um, so it so New York is number one. It so there's a lot of triggering things within this, right? So the number one is New York, and New York is relevant to people all over the country. Either they love it or hate it. They're, New York is a very polarizing city in and of itself, and um, then you take the intensity and the kind of the finality. New York is dead forever, yeah. right? And when you hear that, there are going to be a bunch of people who, number one, either are celebra- celebratory, like, you know, the conservative coalitions that are very excited about that because it feeds into their cultural paradigm of how liberals don't know how to run a city. Yep. Right? Liberal decadence. BLM has destroyed New York, yep. et cetera, et cetera. Whatever, whatever New York is being destroyed. Portland is being destroyed. Chicago is being destroyed. Insert city here. There's a there's a what we call a pendulum of that's swinging in the direction of conservatives, basically making a lot of hay out of that narrative. And so, so I think I think I think you're right about this because I feel like what happened was that James was expressing his authentic, you know, thoughts and feelings about this. And the article was filled with the original article was filled with a lot of sort of support for this and about why this was going to be a permanent change to the city of New York. And that fed right into this conservative narrative. It felt like evidence from a credible source for that that frame that he set just around the idea that like, look, New York is dying and here's a bunch of reasons why. He didn't. I don't think he meant to catch that pendulum, but he but he caught it pretty hard. Yeah, and I think when the New York Post reposted it, um, it only increased uh, the intensity of that. Mm. And then and then there was the um, the counterbalance of people who love New York. I mean, you have a bunch of people who are wounded, um, and because the city has been through a lot, yep. and here you are discussing their worst fears. Um, with everybody having um, nightmares of the specter of Detroit um, or other great American cities that have, you know, fallen that were once admirable. And, um, and so people are like, oh, my God, is this going to be forever? And then you have people, of course, it's not right. So there that that contingency, of course, it's not done forever. I'm still here. Then I think, you know, you combine it with um I, I think with the fact that I think it it, it just I think it, it has to do with the political I think that if without the political this political climate yep I don't think the art I, I I completely agree with you because I I think that it became politicized so this is what's weird about this, what this is exposed I think in the national conversation also and from a again from a frame perspective it's fascinating because it's like James's original and what he's trying to control. In the moment, I mean, there's a. We'll get into what his response was and what Jerry's response was in the frames around that. But it's fascinating because this is a perfect example of this is a this is a situation in which there are multiple. Fr- and we talk about macrocultural frames in the book, and these these are a number of macrocultural frames that are competing with one another in this country. That James caught the pendulum of one, and then and then caught the response from the pendulum of another and it was like if that never happened if, if if america was not in an election year 
and there wasn't a pandemic that was causing people in cities um, to be so fired up in addition to, you know, racial tension that has then caused people to protest and then the civil unrest that's come out of that. If those were not all happening, I don't think that his art, it would not have touched a nerve. I mean, all other things being equal, meaning like New York was going through a trend related to an epidemic or, you know, a pandemic or something, it it would not have touched off so heated a situation it would have just people would have responded to it people would have said yes no whatever and i think the news cycle would have moved on but like it's lingered in the news cycle for almost a week now it's really coming up on its second week um i really almost third week actually now that i'm thinking about it and i think it's because of what you just said which is like it's 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 caught the situation but uh, it, it, the original frame that let's just talk about the original frame that James had here because his his approach to this article was basically just saying and it exactly in its title I think part of it is because its title is 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 the thesis of the article which is just New York is dying here's why and then the rest of the article is just a uh, which was originally a post on LinkedIn was just a a kind of support with a whole series of reasons. Many are broad trends that have been going on for a little while now, but then he's differentiating the current crisis from what happened previously. And so far as I can tell, his frame is basically like, this is sad, but it's happening. I mean, would you agree? You would agree with that, I assume. Yeah, yeah. This, this is sad, but it's happening. And, and I think w one of the things is that he wrote it not for New Yorkers, but in a sense, like, because one of his treatments was like, yeah, but you can be now be anywhere and be successful, yeah. right? There, there's still that kernel there, but that really pisses off New Yorkers. Like, you, so you're going to shit on my city, or the, your city too, and then you're going to say, but you can move to St. Louis. Yep. That So th there's also, like, that kind of thing, where it's like, there's there's all these like there's imagery too right where there's the, the the movement away from new york and kind of i think also i think had he not been in florida when he wrote that yeah it wouldn't have it with the counterbalance like if he wrote that from within new york but he, he's writing it from florida so that gives another point of contention it right, gives a, where, yeah it gives a strange it does give a strange shine on it because he's almost like people can equally one he's almost like a refugee in a kind of way and then secondly, people can point to it and be like, you fucking left, you, you asshole. Like, but it's also mm -hmm. this like bizarre, strange sense of support. Like, he's not wrong. That's what's so... Okay, so then I think this is a good transition to talk about Jerry's response to it. So um, anybody listening to this understands what's going on here, so we won't have to rehash in minute detail everything that happens. But basically, Jerry Seinfeld, that's the craziest part of this, is that I wake up on Monday morning and, and somebody sends me on Facebook this like, hey, this guy who just wrote the Ford Free book is being attacked by Jerry in the New York Times op-ed. And I was like, what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> Like what, what possible, like it just didn't even, it's almost like my brain didn't even, couldn't, it just seemed like such a bizarre out of left field thing to have happen that like Jerry Seinfeld responded. And I think part of the reason he did and this caught him was that one, James is co-owner of Stand Up New York, which is a semi-classic to classic New York comedy club, you know, Upper West Side, it's, it's a great club. And we both perform there a whole bunch. And, and I think that because James is in the world of comedy. This touched and entered Jerry's sphere. 
And because Jerry Seinfeld is almost like the quintessential New York comic, like people associate him so strongly with New York that I feel like it almost was like this was like a, a perfect opportunity for him to respond to something and try to stay in sort of the public, uh, you know, conversation. And I, it's almost like part of me has been wondering, I've, I've been hearing, I want to hear your thoughts on this, why you think Jerry responded. But like part of me was almost thinking, why, what, what would have happened if he didn't write this article? Like what would Jerry Seinfeld? What would what would have happened to the conversation related to this to to what James wrote if Jerry didn't write this? And so there's a, it's like a strange like what possible? I'm trying to think like what benefit Jerry got out of this aside from just being in the public conversation. Well, he he got exactly what you said is um a defender of the city even while he's not in the city, right? So he's not in the city right now. You no, spend so a he's lot living of- in Long Island in his probably yeah. gigantic mansion. Yeah, but there is an element of he he's still our champion. Mm. You know, he writes it in the New York Times, and he, he, he it comes at James in the most New York way, where it's, I'm going to insult you 90% and give 10% of, uh, of a Of an argument, yeah. <laughs> and um, the the thing is, is and to transition to the both of their approaches, where, where James focused more on the granular things like budget, uh, budgets, um, real estate movements, things like that. Like there's a lot of details. Jerry zooms out as we talk about in the book, takes it to, um, to the macro. And he says, look, Rome was sacked, London bombed, Berlin destroyed and split in half, Tokyo burned to the ground, Paris, <laughs> everything. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, they're yet they're still here because that's the essence of a great city. And um, so where he he doesn't even want to he doesn't meet he doesn't acknowledge James's arguments per thing. I, I think in tacitly when Jerry doesn't do that, number one, it's probably from laziness and being hyper wealthy. But also is his argument is that I don't all of those things you could that could be true and New York would still be fine mm. because it's a great eminent city. It's the world capital of the world. Right. Yep. And it has an essence and energy that no matter how hard, no matter how bad it gets, people are staying. And um, his frame is almost, his frame is almost, look, your details don't matter. The city is going to be great regardless. Bad things have happened to other great cities. This city will stick around. The city will stick around. And and, and people will still flock to the city. Yeah, that's the um, zoom out that we talk about in the book, basically, is he's, he's attempting to go, look, the details don't matter here because... The, the broadly your entire argument is wrong yeah he's saying you're 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 missing out on the forest for the trees yeah right and and james is saying no the details do matter because it, details are relevant in these discussions and i think james in in his subsequent post and 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 um further talks about this is bringing up things that are legitimate issues restaurant closure uh, uh de blasio com- laying off twenty two thousand people yeah, in mid October, and um, and so you you know you're kind of at these two things where I think, and I think one of the things I think is that in all of this is James is forced to, and the, a lot of comedians have this issue. Um, and Jerry should should know this; he's a comedian. Where we end up having to defend premises that are just premises. Yep, they're not actually the thing. There, there's a difference between a headline 
saying something to get you to click on it and that actually being by and large what you think as a hardcore put me on the lie detector that's what i believe about the future but when people come and attack your position on something you tend to double down and this is something that comedians do is you tend to double down on the narrative because you also don't want to look weak yeah you feel because you've i mean this gets right back to like like cialdini's principles of uh of of uh, compliance gaining is that if someone makes a statement publicly, they become committed implicitly to the continuation of supporting that narrative. They're invested in publicly displaying that that's the case. Um, a million percent. And one, oh, one of our mutual friends, Karen Margolis, uh, who um, is on a <laughs> podcaster, she, she said something very interesting where she's like, and I think this is very important for people to know, you don't, you're not obligated to defend a point that you say, and you're not even obligated to defend something you believe, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, <laughs> there, there's no obligations, yeah. you know, um, and th- this is not what James did um, in this thing, but there, there is a reality where you could have played it out like this is like. I did that for clicks, but these are real problems. Yeah, yeah. And strangely, like if he had, I mean, we're getting into like James's response to this, but I want to, I want to continue to kind of break down what frames are happening and who has frame before we go f- too far into James's response. But I think you're a hundred percent right. Where it's like he doesn't have to defend any of these. He's like, look, the New York could be fine. That's not the point of me writing that article. <laughs> like, you know, you haven't answered any of the fact that de Blasio is laying off 22,000 people in a month and a half. Like, it, it, exactly. So he could be like, yeah, like, I, I don't give, I care about the 22,000 people. I care about the empty rent place. I, I care about the homeless that are moved to the Upper West Side where there's like no, no plan for any of these people. And these are human beings, right? There's all these there's all these other things. So, you know, you can just immediately shift it where you're like, hey, yeah, I said that. But like, that's who, who doesn't write crazy things to get clicks? Yeah, you know, exactly, right. <laughs> but uh, all, yeah, like, I think also like, 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 blow up like this. Yeah. Could New York be dead? Kind of. I don't care. Like what? <laughs> twenty two thousand people about to lose their job. Yeah. Why are we not talking about this? If yeah. I wrote down twenty two thousand people are about to lose their job who saved us through Corona, no one would give a shit. But I say New York is dead. All of a sudden, Jerry Seinfeld writes back. So who really won? Yeah. Now we're talking about the real issues. Now, See, that's exactly that's why. Okay, so you nailed it. That's why I think I spoke to James the other day when I was on the pod, and I said I think you still have frame here because James is feeling like he's. I mean, look, I kind of just the pressure he's under. I mean, like the conversations you and I both have had with him, and just for the listener to understand, he's. He's got literally millions of people who are trying to come at him right now. And, you know, people have a dog in this fight for reasons that we've already described. And the I said two things to him, which is that one, the reason the argument has turned ad hominem to him is because they do not have quality reasons to respond. So they can attack the messenger because they don't like the message and because that requires them to tacitly believe that the message is true. So, you know, just from a frame perspective here, like one of the things we talk about is like if you defend a point, you are, are accepting that that point is there's truth to that point. So you you can't like if somebody said, look, the sky's green, you and I would both be like, no, it isn't like and, and that would be your response. You wouldn't sit there and try to like write out a whole bunch of you have something invested in trying to convince this other person and really in yourself that it isn't true, you know. And so there, there is some investment that people have in trying to attack James here because I think that they they know at some level there's truth to this claim. 
and they want to argue that that isn't true, and it's easier to attack him than it is to do anything else. So that's the kind. I, I just want to just broadly, do you? So Bill and I have talked about this a little bit, and we've both been you know back and forth with James on it. But I'm just curious. You and I haven't talked about this point specifically. Do you think James still has frame in this situation, and is it similar to what, in the way that I just described it? Yeah, I just want to comment on the last thing you said. I think the reason why a lot of personal attacks were made against James was also a problem about how we are naturally more suspicious of sophisticated arguments. So a lot of the things that James brought the up... The argument itself not, was threatening. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, so a lot of people like, oh, you're talking about budget deficits and tax things and, and uh, this and that. Th- things that the, an average person isn't privy to or they, they, they don't know how to kind of engage that argument in a way they can't be like... Oh, we. This is literally the debt ceiling crisis. They're blah blah blah. They, they don't. They don't have the the models to create the equivocations to make themselves feel safe or have a history with it. So they're going to attack James in, instead of his arguments just because they don't maybe don't have the language or well don't because he he became threatening. So 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 yeah. so think about it from your you know from your your you have three brains right. You've got your reptile brain. You have your um, mammalian brain, and then you have your human brain wrapped on top of that. Your neocortex your gray matter wrapped around two other it's like the 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 actual physical brain is like three actual you know brains wrapped on top of one another and the problem is that james came with such a complicated argument it would require someone to parse it and sort through it that is inherently threatening because it caught it's it's causing you to waste energy to think about these things you should be doing other things. Jerry's response was directly coming from like a reptilian brain. Like people were like, this is a threat. And that's when they shut off. And it's easier to attack the, the person threatening you than it is anything else. And that's why Jerry's response was so unsophisticated, to be perfectly honest. Like he just kind of attacked the, the, the guy who made the argument. And people g- grabbed that so strongly because it was so much easier to understand. It was like written at like a fifth grade level. Like it was just so much easier to understand than it was well, James's argument. Yeah, it's it's the difference between um, Hillary and and Trump in a sense, and not to that's to a great. Get that's it. a great analogy, actually. Yeah, because a lot of people, so people don't realize this, but in the last election cycle, including all the candidates, Hillary was actually the on veracity indicators, the most truthful candidate. Now, I know that doesn't go with her image or anything, and it didn't, doesn't go with the perception of her on the thing, but she lied the least. And the, But the, the thing is that being concise can be interpreted by a lot of people as being non-authentic because you take a lot of time to construct what you're saying, and you're using a lot of terminology that may, maybe people aren't familiar with and makes them more suspicious. Whereas um, a lot of people liked... Donald Trump and one of the slogans around him is the no bullshit candidate or he he just tells it how it is. But he 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 was overwhelmingly said the most falsehoods um, by by non-biased fact checkers um, during his campaign. But he felt honest because of his mode of expression. And he said things that people felt like they were they were they were actually the thing. So um, they were actually representative of how reality is. And um, so with so when Jerry comes at it at a fifth grade level, which is actually um, how when people check how Donald Trump speaks, it's at a fifth grade level when he's a pre- I'm sure he can do better than that. But when he's speaking publicly, he keeps it very simple, which makes him accessible. So the article is accessible to a lot of people and it uses a very compelling story, which is the story of great cities. Yep. 
Yep. Right. So talk about this in the book where you can piggy bank, uh, piggyback off of other narratives, idioms. Yep. There's yeah, a cultural cachet that this, this, this shorthand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that's I, it. Yeah. I think, I think you nailed it, which is that like, he's, he's pulling in this like narrative that we want to think and believe in, which is like New York always continues to operate in all, in all of this. It's, it's just odd though, because like it, it, it doesn't functionally respond to like any of James's points, which I think is so fascinating to it. I think that, I think that he, I mean, what, here's something I want to ask you because this was, this is also part playing a part in this is that Jerry is at a way higher status level than James is. And it's fascinating to me that he felt compelled to write this in response to somebody who is at a way lower status level than him. And so, yeah, go so, ahead. So Rene Girard, who's a French philosopher and anthropologist, talks about that you create culture by finding a common scape- scapegoat of something, somebody who is undesirable but yet, yet known. And it is a way of getting power. Now, I, mm-hmm. I don't think that's what Jerry Seinfeld was saying, but basically this is what Girard says is how to make culture and make groups is to find a common scapegoat that is in an unprivileged position. And that's what James was in. Everybody was really upset with James during that time. He was already getting death threats. He was already low status. And so Jerry, in the sense, looks like the magnanimous hero. Mm. And there's zero stakes because literally he doesn't have to respond to anything James says to him. Yep. So there, it, it's kind of like, it's really popular. You can just, it's like being a popular kid and making fun of somebody who isn't as popular as you and it's like, who it's also like, everybody collectively doesn't like at this time. Yeah, it's like the it's like being the popular kid and making fun of the kid who is running for, you know, student council president or something. Like it the yes. kid the kid running for student council president is unpopular. <laughs> I don't I can't even imagine a school in which the popular kids ran for student council. <laughs> That's why you don't run for yeah. student council is you're already popular. <laughs> and and I, I think here's the thing is I think I think also the fact um that you know there is a lot of overlap between both of them are from New York. Both of them are upper west upper west side residents, you know, some of the time and both of them are, are Jewish and do stand up comedy. Right? And mm. so it's it's there there's they overlap in a lot of demographics and I think there's a lot of tying together and things like that and um yeah i think it was an easy time to just take the narrative of i'm a champion for the city where you know jerry has fallen out of um collective favor and i'm pretty sure he's probably aware of that you know he's still famous he can't be unfamous now he had one of the most famous shows and actually let's maybe the most famous show in in american history yeah it could be and and that you know a chance to grab that limelight probably was available he also has a book out i think yeah, I think that and it's fascinating because the the I don't want to say inarticulateness because it's not exactly that his response was inarticulate. It was just uh like I said, sort of simple and almost overly simple. And it's and I think part of it is because were he to address any of James's points, it would betray his level of status. So it can't it can't be the case that Jerry makes an articulate pointed nuanced argument for why New York is going to survive versus James's article 
because it would betray his status level, that people who are at a higher status level ought not to make articulate arguments back. It's not, it's not a competition of two equals attempting to win the frame over a situation. It became a competition of one guy at a higher status level who's associated with the success of the city of New York writ large and another guy who he's, he's basically telling is wrong. In 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 an inarticulate fashion, necessarily. Does that make sense? Like if Jerry yeah. had if Jerry had attempted to really wrestle with James's points, it would have lowered his status. Yeah. Well, so I think I, I think that's part of it, but I think more so is this we talk about there's a jester archetype of um person who takes frame. Yep. And that's what Jerry is. He's yep. he's a shit talker. So what is he going to do? Is he going to meet the hedge fund manager and try to talk economics? No, he's going to keep it in his wheelhouse, right? Is a person who, who's, you know, a swordsmith going to pull out a machine gun, you know, like, or a pistol to duel, or is he going to make it a his sword slashing fight? Yep. Yeah. And so I think that, um, I think that like, look, crapping on somebody and making one point is what comedians do. Mm. Um, and I think it's a, the reason why a lot of people associate genius with comedians. And as a standard comic, I'll say wrongfully a lot of times is because we don't really open ourselves up to a space where we don't really know what we're talking about. We think we speak about things in a vagueness, but yet touch on something that feels meaningful. And so I think that, yeah, like I think his main goal was to be compelling while also being a comic and shitting on somebody. And that's to, that's that's the archetype. And it's very hard to come at a jester because they're actually not taking anything seriously that's exactly like, yeah 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 dude i you nailed it yeah and um yeah so i think that like one of the things that i i not i don't really feel like either one of them responded to each other right I think <laughs> yeah it, just, in a weird way they were like talking past each other yeah yeah it, it, it was like you two people you know one person saying something then one person like making fun of that other person and then the other person still bringing up the points that they were bringing up um, and so I think really in this kind of conversation and in, in the argument, it's about who, whose reality is getting validated and who is validate. And, you know, just statistically speaking, you know, more people are part of a liberal contingency mm. because it's co-opted by the right. Mm-hmm. Um, and made it sound like people are dancing on the grave of New York and people don't want New York to succeed. It becomes a left versus right thing. Yep. And so. I think with Jerry being as famous as he is and also with right wing people being like, oh, it's the death of New York. um, Liberal people are just never going to go with that. Yep. And majority of the nation, statistically speaking, census wise, is liberal, overwhelmingly so. And especially people who don't vote and talk in these things. So most people are probably not for James's position because, number one, the right co-opted it. Let's say left. Let's say if AOC co-opted it, right? And he would have been James would have been a hero. Yeah, James would have been a hero if if AOC had tweeted it and said, "He's exactly right. This is why we need major, you know, action now." If if James had said this, New York might die forever. Who's going to stop it? That would have been a left narrative right there, right? But it's gone forever, and that makes it a right narrative. Yep, and. And so the the finality of it makes it a right narrative. If he had made it ongoing, like there was something we can do, it could have maybe been used by the left. But I don't think he was thinking about any of those things when he wrote it. Actually, I know that's not the case because we talked to him about it. Yeah. And he just didn't know it would get into the zeitgeist in that way. And I think much of this is similar to Jordan B. Peterson's um, 
you know, refusal to uh, capitulate to the Canadian law of using proper pronouns. Yep. Where he just came and made a stand at a particular time. But I think the difference between where I, I think the difference between James in this circumstance and Jordan B. Peterson in this circumstance is I think James doesn't want the conflict in the same way or invite the conflict the same way Jordan. Yeah, he's been, I mean, just because we're so close to him, I know that he's been harmed mostly by all of this that's taking place. I mean, he's not enjoying any of it. And yeah. I, I don't blame him. I mean, like, I think that whereas Jordan is in a circumstance, because this is a good comparison. It's one that we talked about previously, and I know I've, I've talked with James sort of separately about, is that it, it it is a similar circumstance for exactly the reasons that you just described. But what's weird about it is that he doesn't, like, Jordan felt that he had the position righteously. And we talk about, you know, positive emotions like courage being frame builders versus fear and inferiority being frame destroyers. And so it's it's strange because what just happened in this circumstance is that Jerry, who is a higher status, period, basically attacks James directly and, and you know, calls him a putz and then just goes like, you're so dumb. New York's always going to be around. Look at all these great cities of the world. You know, you ran down to your Florida place you coward blah 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 etc and that is immediately attempting to invoke feelings of inferiority then he's receiving death threats actually which obviously instills fear jordan peterson was also receiving death threats it's clear to say i mean i just just to be you know straightforward about it but the difference is that he felt he was righteously battling a unjust uh narrative and group of of people who are attempting to coerce and subvert uh, others nationally, and he became this figure of intense courage because of that reason, and that built his frame so strongly. And James never intended any of this to happen. I think Jordan prepared for this to happen, and he knew it kind of would happen. I don't think he knew it would happen in the way that it did happen, but I think that that's a very important difference here. And that goes back to your original point, which is, he didn't, you know, James in this situation didn't need to say double double down on being like, no, New York is being destroyed. <laughs> he just, you know what I mean? The the proper way to combat a jester figure, like we talk about in the book, is to also combat a jester figure or call them on their bullshit. Is is it, you you really have a? I mean, there's a number of ways to do it, but two of the big ways are either we're both jesters or I'm telling you that you're being a jester in a time when you cannot be a jester. Things are serious right now. And I think that that was part of what you had, I think, advised James about when you spoke about this. Yeah, well, I, number one, I think James roasting uh, Jerry about roasting him about be, leaving while he's not in the city, not writing jokes, not even being who he is, really. Yeah. Basically, like, yeah, you know, and I thought that was a, a great comeback. And I think, um, yeah, so I, I think that one of the things that made the, the big difference between Jordan B. Peterson and James, I think has to do with the fact that Jordan's um, B. Peterson's was caught on video mm. and it was caught in reaction to people. Yep. And, and there was active protest in his face. So part of this is the restriction of the medium. Yep. Yep. Right. So 
so the written medium, you know, there's just a, like a lot of a lot less that you can do with it. There's a lot that you can do, but there's a lot less that you can do. And so you're watching um, Jordan B. Peterson take on this mob. So like there, there, there is a scene that you're seeing. And then on top of that, Jordan B. Peterson has had years of being one of University of Toronto's famed lecturers. Yep. Right. People, if you read his um, his professor ratings, they're 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 as if they're really effusive with their their affection for him being a great lecturer. Right. And so I think that that provided a ability to humanize Jordan in a way in which I don't think James had the privilege of it being because it was a, a text based um, initial article. Yep. So like James and when you hear James talking his in his video about this you can really feel that he it, it comes through and all of these other things but also when he's he's not he's not you're not hearing like you know bleep you man I hope you die like and then him being like I love New York blah 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 I've been here like this is you know you're not hearing it in reaction to any of that It's cool so I think it's a cold it medium it's a cold medium. And so they, they don't feel any of the love. And in and, and post, you have to be economical with words. So it's even more sterile. And it, all of us are taught as good writers to write in a way that it's vaguely – if you want to be a compelling writer, you write in a way to hurt, to not hurt people but to step on toes sometimes. Yeah, you have to, you have to invoke emotion. That's the only way to get that kind of um... – to get that kind of uh, a response, and and that and that clearly happened here, at least with James's article. But but I I agree with what you're saying is that it's like, it, P, P, I think that's part of the reason why people felt like weirdly personally attacked by James's article, is that they're reading it and it's happening in their own brain, and that's where that's what that was the effectiveness of that medium. If he had said it, if it had been a video, you know, of James saying this to a crowd. People would it probably wouldn't have taken off actually, because people wouldn't have felt personally, you know, uh, or touched by or it. Or might it, dude? If he was saying this at a personal talk and he was like, "There, De Blasio is about to fire twenty two thousand people who fucking served us during our darkest hour." Yep, this is the a fair subway point. stop mm. because it needs eight billion dollars, and the city has no way of getting that money. Seventy percent of the restaurants in the city are not going to be around next year. Midtown is going to be a ghost town because these businesses aren't coming back and the people who work there are more efficient at home. So why the fuck would they pay the lease? Mm-hmm. And he's like, and I'm sitting here watching New York need $20 billion and Cuomo doesn't want to let de Blasio ask for money because he's waiting on the government to bail us out. And Trump is withholding money because he doesn't want New York to succeed, and I'm sitting here watching my city die, mm. right? That would go viral. Yeah, and it would right? have a functionally different meaning than the article he wrote. Exactly, and that and this is where there there's a um I, I don't remember who the writer is, but who says the medium in which you take in information is more changes you more than the content of the information that you're taking in. That was uh, McLuhan. The medium is the message. Medium and so the the way that so the written message that's that's the limitation of it. It's 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 literally it's a so much harder to communicate, especially in a blog format, the nuance to 
actually convey the holistic truth. Mm. Right. And, and so is he going to sit there and explore everything? No, he's going to bring up a couple of few points because that's that's the nature of blog writing. Right. The nature of blog writing. Like, you know, I remember whenever I was a blogger, why when I get married, I'm going to be thinking about divorce was one. Like, you know, like you, you write things that that are really going to is, is that is, am I actually going to be thinking about getting divorced on my wedding day? No, no. But I was a line and I would meet I meant everything I said in the article. And I think when I talked to James, one of the things he said was like, you know, I, I didn't the, the headline I, I would qualify and he did qualify eventually, but he meant everything he wrote. Yeah. And on, on the article. But a lot of people we have to also remember, don't read the article. Yep. So like people are responding to headlines. Um, and that's one of the things is, is that we, we base worldviews off of us. Uh, what says, uh, we, uh, um, we live in a time where we have more and more information and there's less and less meaning. That's John right? Baudrillard so, who said that. Sorry, there was just a skip in the audio. There was John Baudrillard said we live in a time where there's more and more information and less and less meaning. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, these, these things I think are all relevant here. And I think whenever you get in a frame battle, and it's restricted to a medium like literary. I think the first thing you should do is respond with video. Is change the frame, change change, change the medium the in which the frame is trying to be set. Exactly. So I mean, and like this is a thing. One of the things we've noticed as comedians, the comedians who don't withstand getting canceled, or actors who don't get withstand getting canceled, are ones who don't have a real relationship with their audience. Yep. Their relationship with their audience is from a distance. Right um, there. And so if you are regularly talking to your people and you pull out your phone and be like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. All of a sudden, everybody forgets about it. And I don't want to drop any names because I don't want it to go in that direction. But it's just like ones that only spoke through you through sitcoms or specials. They had to go away for a long time. Yep. because they weren't in control of the way in which they would reach you. Well, and because so some of that, this is the, the limited because because of the ability to be out framed becomes more challenging when there's a lot of information that someone has to place the frame around. Because remember, the definition of a frame is the context in which the 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 object uh, occurs. So if mm -hmm. the object is larger, it is harder to set a frame around it. Just QED. So it makes more sense because yep. you're not you're you're now responding to. And this is why I think you advise James to 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 use video in his response is because it was. And which I, uh, you know, I, I we'll see, I guess, what that ends up looking like uh, uh, when he does it. But it's it's interesting because it's harder to when you're watching him emote or he's talking to you and you're seeing him gesture, you're seeing him like talk about these things. It is much harder to place a frame around him because of the 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 so much the the, the you know, availability of all of that additional information. Yeah. So I think it's interesting for us uh, to kind of maybe moving into the last part of this is to talk about sort of like the 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 frame that you know we were each kind of individually talking with James about and his response to it. I think going to video was part of that. I think um, him attempting to treat the argument seriously as a response to Jerry, I think was part of that. You know, again, I mean, we'll see, I suppose, what how this all plays out because it's still kind of happening. But I'm just curious, you know, what do you think the what do you think the reframe will do in in in, in James's response? And how do you think that'll play out in the media? I, not to make predictions. I mean, this whole year is just insane. I would have never assumed that Jerry would have done this period. So 
I'm just curious how you think that's going to come off and what's going to happen in the conversation next, Bill. Uh, so I think um, there, I, I honestly, I'm going to be honest with you. I think it's, it's had its, it's, it's had, it's had its, its 15 run. minutes. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think, um, it, you know, it, I, I just, I don't think there's really much else any more directions is going he's going to interview a couple new york people who are are central to the thing i know that he has a lot of people that he is trying to work with to get solutions and i think that's really good i think he's built up a capital in that way but i think with regards to this article it's you know it's done he he, he has a qualifying video that he shot and um i think that you know only time will tell you know, and whether or not um, he he was prophetic about some stuff or or, or what. And I think, um, yeah, I just I, I just think that like now it's just it's I think I think what's said needed to be said. Yeah. And I think now it's just going to it's just going to kind of just go away. And if it turns out to be really right, then, you know, he's it'll be brought back up. But I just don't see it um, coming back up really with any kind of force um, because I everybody already has chosen their side yep yeah and i think i think part of that is because when it, it was it was a fait accompli when it became a tribal issue yeah exactly and you know i um i i told, I told him initially and, and that like when he ever he had first wrote it, he should write about like five ways that new york could be better than ever and he didn't want to do that because he didn't want to detract from his actual message and honestly i think it would have not hit the zeitgeist the way it did if he he had done if he that. if he had done that yeah it's a good point yeah um so i think you know uh, i you know i think he's gotten a lot of attention and there's a lot of people who reached out and i think it has overall been a net positive for him even though it's come with a significant amount of weight just like putting nos pressing nos on on on, on your uh your level of visibility yep um but I think, um, yeah, I think the fact that he was bold enough to do that, and yeah, he could have he could have just written an article where where it's like, you know, rents are going to be cheaper, you know, artists can move back in, you know, and he addresses some of this stuff and that, that how that's not going to change the problems, you know, and I think that was courageous in and of itself, right? Because I'm going to be honest, I'll say this, I, I wrote out a, a template that was like, hey man, you could write out these five points, and he was like, no, these things need to be said, and I think they need to be addressed knowing yeah. knowing well that it that was gonna yeah that it was it was that was early in the process too because yeah. we had that conversation and we were we I, I think i think you saw where this was going and uh in, in a way that admittedly i don't think i did like i saw that article and i remember thinking oh shit man he's really touching a nerve here but i i didn't think it would get as big as it did i think you kind of saw that coming and part of us talking was you were like i'd like to give and we had talked about this like giving him like points about what you know, maybe here are some good things that could come out of it. But his nerve to not do that is, I think, something that we should also acknowledge in this, which is like, yeah. if he had capitulated or equivocated early, there's no way that Jerry would have written that article back to him. No, not 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 even not even at all, right? Because it it, it would have just looked like he was he he was playing he was just trying to play play the internet game. And and he didn't want to delegitimize his concerns, mm. and um, you know, and I think that 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 is uh, uh, that's really important. And I think you know, um, you 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 get the consequence of that in both ways, right? And there there is something that he will always remember. You know, one of his favorite comedians, somebody who is a New York icon, responding to him, and it mean not really in the way that you'd want, but it happened. 
Yeah. And um, and it's something that it probably is unlikely to forget. And so I think about this and I'm like, yeah, like that. I think that was uh, a huge move in all of this. I think it's important to say kind of as we're wrapping up, um, this has been a good conversation, actually. Um, what's what we should acknowledge here is that. You know, it's the book is uh you know is is the power bible. It's about winning conversations that matter. I think what's important is that you can't win a conversation that isn't really happening. So what's strange about the situation is that the conversation is not actually quite between Jerry and James, although there is some conversation there. The real conversation is between James and the public who has interest in what in in this story, and it's fascinating because his response was in a way, guarding, I think, his own sense of self and inner frame. And it, it mm-hmm. and that conversation is as important as the one taking place publicly around the subject. So it's like he, you know, you, everybody listening to this is going to have to deal with people attacking your sense of self and whether it's it's intentional or unintentional. I mean, I think Jerry's, some of it was intentional from Jerry. You know what I mean? He called James a putz. Etc. But he didn't write that article to attack James. He wrote that article to defend New York, but that defense involved an attack on James just just because of the nature of, of the defense. And that caused all of this entire ecosystem to jump into being that, you know, supported Jerry, attacked Jerry, supported James, attacked James. And James, the conversations he's having internally right now has as much to do with the results and the importance of what's happening as the conversation externally. And it's important just to kind of point that out, that the conver- you are not going to win the conversation with millions of people, period. You're just not going to do it. There's, there's people who are going to hate James. You know, they love Jerry. They love New York because, you know, Glenn Beck read Jerry's or, or James's article. End of story. It's just they, that's when they lost. That's when all hope for James winning the conversation with them went away. And the reason James can't do that is because he can't engage with them individually, period. So his response is going to be, you know, going to lose people just as a matter of of course. But the conversation that is important for James to win is with himself in this regard. I think that is something that sometimes gets lost when people talk about this stuff. Yeah, well, I I also think that... um when I think James is a really empathetic person and I think just, it's just hard not having, having people not like you or say mean things. I, I was, somebody called me full of that SH like, you know, on TikTok last night for no reason. And that bothered me for like 10 minutes. <laughs> and, um, I can't yeah. imagine that on a grander scale. Yeah. Um, and you know, a lot of times when you're like, I, I'm making legitimate points and I actually think you don't know what you're talking about as much as me yet. I don't know how to express it. And I think part of one of the things is holding frame with yourself is really not identifying with the frames of other people that they have on you. And this is the problem of self-awareness, which I, I deem as other awareness. When we think about self-awareness, we de- we mainly think of it as how other people are perceiving us. And um, a lot of times I think when yeah, when you're thinking about like, oh, these people will is there any credibility to their horrible position on me because a lot of times when people are berating you they they're saying so with complete certainty Mm. Uh, you know and so your brain has to take it your brain takes it more no one says i think i hate you besides a loved one right like but like no people are like i hate you and i want you to die and i I hate you and you're shitty and here's why you're shitty 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, for him to have friends turn into enemies, you know, family betray him on this and all of these other things are all relative to the status of the situation. And we say in the book that your status changes things, changes people's behavior, people's behavior more than your actions do. Mm. And uh, so, you know, you're, you're watching all of these these people change their tune and you want to kind of say all these different various things. And you have to internalize a lot of these things. And as you internalize a lot of the because inst- part of being a healthy individual is actually not saying everything you want to say to other people. And but that energy turns inward mm. and you have to process those psychic wounds. And, you, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you shouldn't worry about that. But you know, that doesn't help the healing process. And I think, um, especially whenever you have mountains of hate and your reputation, um, your reputation you feel has been scarred permanently Mm. in a city that you love. And I, I think that that's something that is really important to think about when you kind of criticize somebody online is it's like, you're, you're, yeah, their physical body is okay, but their, their self-concept isn't. And when people, you know, this is I'm not saying James is close to suicide or anything like that. But when people kill themselves, it has a lot to do a lot of times with their self-concept and not actually their biology. Right. And so, you you know, that's how people can get marred like that. Yeah. And I think that's the I think that's the challenge. When I was talking with him, I was I was telling him, look, I think the challenge that you have now is that you need to double down on the things that you love about yourself and really figure out which one of these things people are saying to you is meaningful and which isn't which is about them and which is about you. That's the thing to, to filter in and out of. And, you know, I think in his, you know, for good for him, he's surrounded by, you know, he's a, a wife who loves him very much. He's got a good family. You know, all of this is like very solid for him. But that's not, not everybody is in that privileged of a circumstance. And I think he acknowledges that it's a, you know, it's a privileged circumstance versus, you know, people who don't have those things in their life who have to also deal with public attacks in one way or another. So, well, and I, I think one of the things, and the, I created the distinction between self awareness and other awareness because I think self awareness, I I like to use it more in terms of knowing who you actually are rather than being a kind of knowing how you're coming across to other people. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the things is, for example, we all have different capacities for being the foil, the foil, mm-hmm. right? And like for example, Donald Trump might be one of the greatest foils. In human history. Oh boy, yeah. And, it's, <laughs> and, and he's just, that's what strength of his. And if somebody who it doesn't have the same constitution as him tries to be him, they'll probably fail. Yeah. Because there is a part of him that, that, that is, that is where he is in his element. That's where he feels value. And I think there, there is a sweetness and softness to James that, um, he enjoys being somebody who says something provocative, but he doesn't enjoy being the foil. And I think that is part of this whole situation is, is like, you know, are you, because there are people who derive satisfaction from this, you know, um, this controversy and people having death threats and all this other stuff. There are people who actually do enjoy it. It's like, ah, man, see, I got all these people. So obsessed. I mean, we would call it, there's a a troll. Yeah. You know, they get a um, sense of, of, of grandiosity from it. Grandiosity from it. And so it's just like that's not, that's not him. And that's not why he wrote this article. That's not his natural state. This is he wrote it because these are actually valid concerns for the city of New York and can really affect how quickly the city gets back to what he loves or whether or not it can get back to the city that he loves. Um, and I think that that is um, needs to be thought about in this thing as well. 
So I think what are the biggest takeaways? Let's just wind this up and just ask you directly. Um, what do you think the biggest takeaways are for somebody who's attempting to win conversations that matter and maintain frame when they're being attacked and attempted to be outframed at a level that James was at? I mean, I, I, I know that's a big question, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. And if you don't have anything that yeah. springs to mind immediately, I can give you um, I can give you mine. Well, so the first thing I would say is this is so how I would tell you about this. I'm going to tell you how I would play out the situation if I was had just written that article and this had happened. Yep. Is um, number one, as I said before, I I would have just number one had no allegiance to my headline and immediately said, yeah, I wrote it to get clicks, but these are real problems. (laughs) And I would have said I would have probably been really matter of fact about things rather than, you know, getting granted. I would probably would have said something similar. James, you know, wrote back a short thing in the New York Post and. Um, I, I probably would have just said the things where I'd be like, look, hey, bro, called out Jerry for being in Long Island. And then like none of what you said brings attention to the fact that the city is dying. What are you what are your words helping these people who are about to lose everything? What are your words doing to what is your? Yeah, dude, we all know New York is one of the greatest cities and it's going to be OK. But I'm worried about the people right now. I'm worried about the people who right now who have to worry about this, Jerry. You have a billion dollars. You don't have to worry about whether or not you're going to get evicted. You don't have to worry about whether or not restaurants are going to open up indoors so you can make tip money. I'm concerned about with what's happening in this moment. I'm concerned with the fact that nobody is helping. I would have made a, a kind of a popul- populist appeal. Right. Where I would have been like, why is nobody helping de Blasio? What are you getting out of this? What are you getting out of leaving people unemployed? What are you getting out of the rent forgiveness being gone? Right. How are we going to encourage these businesses to stay? Because, you know, they don't care about New York if everyone left that early. Right. And mm-hmm. and, I, and I would have said a bunch of those things. And then I would have the, the other thing I would have done is New Yorkers, dude, there are it, it will end. Right. And there's an and I would brought up and this is the other thing I would have brought up solutions kind of just in the thing. Yeah, there there are ways to solve these problems. But I'm worried about the moment. Because and I and I think James described it perfectly when during his talk when he said pain when you're in pain and you don't know when it's going to end, it's forever. Mhm. And that is what New York is going through right now. Yeah. It's, and so I'm like and I would have just kept it like that like yeah, our rent price is going to drop. Yes. Are is real estate going to get cheaper? Yes. Or are there going to be a different type of people in New York? Yes. Are those places going to be turned into hotels and various other things? Yes. Will this financial thing likely get worked out through some bailout? Yes. But I'm worried about the 22,000 people who saved our fucking ass and who are going to get a fucking pink slip in October and get denied pension and then have to worry about how they're going to get a job in a fucking pandemic. Right. I'm worried about those people. Yeah, because and I think I, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think this is such a good response because it, let me let me just outline this for two reasons. One is that that is such a strong righteous frame. So that comes that that moves James into being like a Jordan Peterson in this situation, which he's like, no, no, no. I'm having the courage to talk about this shit seriously, and you ran away to Long Island, Jerry. Like mm-hmm. you're gonna be fine, and you're a billionaire, and I'm worried about actual people. This is why I'm donating, and James really is donating lots of money to people's GoFundMe's to keep businesses going during the um the the, the pandemic, uh, which is something he's actually doing. And I think that Jerry functionally can't respond to that because he is a jester, and so it's like yeah. it just it became it becomes this serious like, hey, look, don't make a fucking joke when people are about to lose their goddamn job, and a lot of the. The support that James has received in response to from that article, which is like in in the talk, which I know you advised him on that line. Um, 
you know, trauma is the def the definition of trauma is is pain uh, without a known end, is uh, or discomfort without a known end is is I think something we kind of advised him on, and the 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 support that he's gotten from people have largely been in the vein that you just described, which is people who are like, it's pretty fucking easy for you to say that New York is going to come back, Jerry Seinfeld, but there are two New Yorks. There's rich New York and there's real New York. And mm-hmm. you're not a member of real New York. So it's that New York is not going to be the same. That New York is not. Sure, rich New York is going to be the same, but it doesn't matter because rich New York is not where literally millions of people live. Yep. And and that so I, I would have made it more populist, <laughs> but that's about it. Um, and but I think James handled it well. And I also I, I don't think this is another thing where this is a difference of personality. I don't I don't know if James wants that, right? Like that that role. Because here's the thing: is as we've seen with Jordan B. Peterson, when you come out like that, it only encourages more and more negative entropy and conflict. Yeah, and for Jordan, it almost killed him. Yep. And so, I yep. mean, he, he, he I, I, I agree with you. I think that it's like, it's, you, have you know, to, you have James, to. James is happy to let this conversation move on at this point, which I think is fine too. I mean, he doesn't want this fight. This isn't really his fight. And I don't think he has the constitution for it, even if he did want it. And that's not a slight on him. I think it's just the case, you know? Yeah. It's, well, I think, I think it's, it's that James likes hype helping behind the scenes. That's even why he isn't letting people know about the GoFundMe's and stuff like that. Is because James, for all this, all this is kind of a low key guy. Yep. Um, and yeah, and so like I think you have to understand like when you are engaging in a frame, you also have to see, and if you are able to have the foresight or get planned, is where that frame ends, the logical conclusion of that frame. Mm. And if you're not able, you some people are able to, you know, do the beginning point where they start very strong. But they don't realize that they are embarking on a course of action where they are required to be that person for a prolonged period of time, and that is exhausting for them. If it's not natural for you, it, you can't it, sustain it. The, it the, the difficulty in keeping that persona going is far – the energy required is far greater than m- most people possess. Exactly. And so you, you, you just got to look at where, where does that road end? You know, what, where does my course of action end? What does that gain me? Do I even want the rewards it gives? Mm. Right. James, hyper successful, lives a great life. He doesn't probably want to, he doesn't want a career in politics. You know, he doesn't need this fight. Yeah. He doesn't need this fight. He has nothing to gain from the other side of it. Exactly. Somebody like me, I'm 30 years old. If I was in that situation, I'd handle it completely different. I don't have kids to worry about and people making death threats to my family and all of this other stuff. Yeah. So I could be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, bring it on, man. This is going to take me to the top, and then I can do a book deal and blah, blah, blah. James already has all those things. Yep. So the net gain to throwing himself in the heart of controversy is pretty minimal, and nothing more that he could probably already get on his own and probably have already gotten from what's produced. So I think he handled it perfectly for his circumstance. Yeah, I, I actually I agree with all of that. And so um, I think it's probably good that he had you and uh, advising him and, I guess, me in a small, a small bit. But... Uh, let's just wind up just to say the book is the power Bible written by William Petit, the third, who's, uh, I'm talking with and myself, Brendan Lemon forward by James Altucher. You already kind of know that though. Cause you jumped into this audio. Um, I think this was good, man. I, it was good to, to, to actually sit down and, I mean, we've talked about this in a number of different ways while it was happening, obviously back and forth and between us and then between, uh, James individually and together. But 
I think it was good to actually sit down and hash this out. And hopefully the listener got an idea out of it. And uh, feel free to subscribe to this podcast, which is The Madness Continues. But definitely check the book out. Um, it's filled with a lot more tactical and strategic advice similar to what we've been talking about here that <laughs> we've, we've, I had no idea we'd be using tools from our book this fast after it's publishing <laughs> to, it, to talk no, with no, somebody no. about. <laughs> uh, this is a great podcast, man. Thank you for having me on. Um, yeah, man, subscribe to Madness Continues, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the Madness Continues podcast. Once again, this is Brendan Lemon. If you liked what you listened to, please take a minute to like, to subscribe, to give us a rating. It really does mean a difference. I say us like there's more than one person doing this. Uh, it's just me, everybody. So every little bit of support you can lend would be really appreciated by me. If you want to share this podcast, it would really, really, really mean a lot to me. I hope you come back. I hope you listen and check out the other podcast I produce, Funny Planet, where we talk to different comedians from all over the world about what they're doing and how they are funny in their own cultures. You can learn a thing or two and you'll have a laugh too. Anyway, take care. Take it easy. We'll see you here next time.